0: Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? It's boring, it's weighed down by its history, it's turgid, it's self-important. It's just a total waste of time. How
1: sad for me that I now feel like it's a punish to get to the end of what has been one of my favourite shows of the last decade.
2: There's a line about a sneeze-proof vagina. No, it's not pushing TV forward. Oh. It's it's quite oh. old-fashioned. It's, oh. it's, it's obviously doing things to Claire, which we'll get to in a second
1: can you imagine like a group of American executives sitting around going okay we need to appeal to the female demographic what females round and juicy oh a peach okay what about the men? yeah let's let's get them like let's call a men boss like, men are bot, man.
2: Ridiculous. Like
0: it's
1: like so vomit in my mouth. I really don't like
0: it. And I think, Matt, you've done a death knock. I have done a death knock. Yes, this may be oh. nostalgic for death knocks. And I have to say, what a snooze fest. Oh, <laughs> my gosh.
1: Oh, I just can't. I just can't deal with this show.
0: But Claire and I are right and you're wrong. Welcome back to BingeList, your weekly guide to the best of Aussie TV. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me in the studio are Who Magazine's TV experts, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Yes, she's back. Welcome back from holidays, Claire. We've really missed you. Oh, thanks,
1: guys. I missed
0: you. Oh. It's great to have you back. Now, we've got some good TV to talk about this week, so let's get straight into it. The big drama out this week is House of Cards Season 6, and it's now streaming on Netflix. As most people know, the show is now without Kevin Spacey, who was fired over a sexual misconduct scandal – This will also be the last season, so there's a lot of change in the air. One of the changes that's definitely been in the air is some negative reaction from some of the fan base, with some people even claiming this season now constitutes the worst ending of a great show ever. Do you agree, Claire?
1: Yeah, I have to admit, I have been a rabid House of Cats card fan forever. I really, really loved it. And I wouldn't have been unhappy if it had finished up at the end of last season. I thought the way that they left things... could have rightly just finished and that would have been it. I've Because I've always suspected right from the start that the real story here was Claire's rise to power, which is a bit controversial. But I kind of agree with um, a lot of these fans that are saying that it's, it's not great. I, I haven't finished it yet because I was on holiday. So I, I binged the first couple of episodes ahead of time before it actually dropped on Netflix. And so I've got a lot of catching up to do. But I um, the first four that I saw... I really didn't love, and so I'm hoping that if I just get back into it, and um, that it'll kind of end, you know, in a, you in know, satisfactory way. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of interesting that that um, Frank, oh Kevin Spacey, it's 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 almost impossible to talk about this series without talking about the Kevin Spacey controversy, which has completely spoiled it all for me. I mean, in my opinion, Frank. At, absolutely needs to be in this series, even in flashbacks. It just feels completely incomplete without him, especially in those first couple of episodes where they're really kind of backtracking and trying to sort of bring you up to speed with what happened. And look, Robin Wright is sensational for me. She's even more ice cold. Um, But I just, and I I am excited to see how all these plot points from series one get resolved, because, I mean, having not seen it completely... Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting the vibe that there's a lot to come about. Is sort of what happened to um, the young journo from series one, getting pushed in front of the train. I'm sure everyone who's already finished this is going, "Oh my god, Claire, you've got so much to catch up on." But for me, it's just, oh, just really, I can't. No, it's, I'm not into it. What did you guys think Have Either of you finished it?
2: I haven't finished it, but I, I barely started this season, and I have to say, what a snooze fest. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. The, the first episode of season six, I was so bored, except for that bit where the motorcade got shot at. That, that was pretty exciting, yeah. I, I guess. I'll, I'll give it that. But um, I don't know. I, I loved the first season of House of Cards. It was, you know. did. I. We, we used to have viewing parties with a group of friends of mine. Um, we were that obsessed with it. But I gave up during season two, and um, fans will know, if I say war reenactment episode, what I'm talking <laughs> about. I really, I got that far and I went, no, I, I made it through the guy with the gerbils or the ferrets or whatever they were, and I got got to that war reenactment episode and just went, no, I'm done, I'm out. So, checking back in for season six, I, I've obviously missed a lot, but um, it was nice seeing- yeah,
1: you actually. Missed a couple of really good seasons, I have to admit, Gavin. Okay. Season three in particular was fantastic.
2: Okay, all right. It was it was nice seeing Claire Underwood in power, and, and I agree with what you say, Claire. You do need Frank in this series, and obviously we can't have Frank for, for you know for reasons that we all know about. But for me, the show was about Claire and Frank and their relationship and their push and pull. Um, so not having him there did feel like a, a big gap. And I agree, it probably should have ended at the end of season five when she became president Um, because, you know, that was where this was headed and she got there at the end Mm. of season five. Did we really need to see her in power in season six?
0: I don't no. know. Yeah, no, maybe not. No,
1: they shouldn't have
0: done it. No, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, look, the only thing that kept me going through the episodes of this that I have watched was Robin Wright's performance. I love her. I can watch her in almost anything. I remember her from Santa Barbara. Um, <laughs> look,
2: <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. said no one
0: ever. Well, I, did, I do remember her from Santa Barbara. <laughs> um, and I loved her in the Blade Runner sequel. She was great in that too, but I digress.
1: Look, I just... Oh, my God, Wonder Woman. Can we just talk about her in Wonder yeah. Woman? She's so good in that as
0: well. She is. All of these things are far, far better than season six of House of Cards, which is a complete waste of time. Um, It's boring. It's weighed down by its history. It's turgid. It's self-important. It's just a total waste of time. And having read the reaction to the last episodes of this season, which I have not seen yet, it's just confirmed to me that I'm right not to pursue this. I think it's a classic example. Okay, don't tell me. No, I'm not. It's just a classic example of leave well enough alone. It should mm. have ended when it ended. Yeah. And they've dragged it out and now they've sullied their reputation because a lot of the fan and critical reaction to the to the full season has been absolutely scathing. And they're even people are even saying, you know, this has ruined the legacy of the whole show. Now I can't speak mm. to that because I've not seen it to the end, nor will I ever. But I'm not going to recommend this to you unless you're a hardcore fan, basically, at the end of the day. This is this is for the hardcore fans of House of Cards. Everyone else move on to great new shows like Bodyguard and et cetera, et cetera. There's so many new shows out now that have so much energy. This is something that's weighed down by the past. Let's leave it in the past. Let's move on.
1: It's so sad, though, because, I mean, I would consider myself a diehard fan, but how sad for me that I now feel like it's a punish to get to the end of what has been one of my favourite shows of the last decade. Like, I mean, how sad that that's the legacy. I totally agree with these fans and critics that are saying, It's a real, it's it's a real shame that it's ended this way because that's exactly how I feel. It was such a fantastic show.
2: Do you think this is a Netflix thing? Because I've heard people say because Netflix isn't bound by conventional you know, time slots and, and having to fit stuff on air that it can go for as many seasons as it want. The shows can go for as many episodes as they want as well and that sometimes there's no one doing quality control and going, yep, five seasons is yep. enough, let's leave it there and they're going on and on and on. And, yeah, we could have done this in four episodes but why don't we do it in ten? Who cares? Yeah, I think that
1: that's totally true, Gavin, and I think a really good example of that was Love Line. The first series of Bloodline was so fantastic, really moody. Ben Mendelsohn was just amazing in it. He won an Emmy for it, I think. But And then it kind of petered out of it in season two. And I I had the exact same feeling watching season three. I got halfway through and I was like, I I can't. I just physically can't do this. And it's interesting. I I had a lunch. No, actually, it was a dinner with some of the Netflix execs from the States that came out about two years ago. And I was kind of talking to them about my feelings about Bloodline and they were sort of looking at me. They didn't say anything, but I'm like, I bet they've got the analytics to say exactly when everybody bails out of of, of, of shows like this. I mean, for me, it was like halfway through Bloodline season three. I mean, yeah, it's really interesting that they've got all this data available to them mm. and yet they still can't finish off a series in a satisfying way. I don't know. It's weird.
0: Yes, yes. Right, I think it's unanimous. Don't watch season six of House of Cards. But if you are, you know, angling for a big punish, check it out on Netflix. It's streaming right now. Harsh. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. Now, Australia doesn't have a great record with sitcoms, but Channel 10 is giving it another try with Peter Hellier and Lisa McCune's new effort, How to Stay Married. It starts on November 8. Should people give it a chance, Gavin?
2: I think people should give it a chance, definitely. Um, I know we have talked about sitcoms in Australia a lot, and and I think uh, there's a caveat to what you said, Matt. ABC does do good comedies, but the free-to-air networks haven't had a great track record lately with them. So I would say check this one out um, for for reasons I will elaborate on now. Um, It's a slice of Australian suburbia. It's a half-hour comedy, and it focuses on the Butler family with Peter Hellyer and Lisa McCune playing mum and dad, and they've got two daughters. And the first episode deals with what happens when mum wants to go back to work and dad gets sacked, which is pretty general. And I feel like once they've kind of wrapped up that kind of premise, it could keep going on. As long as it wants, really, because it really is just about a family, everyday family in Australia. They've got some kooky neighbours, Darren uh, Gilshannon, I think that's how you say his name, who you would know from the Moody's and all sorts of things. He was the uncle who likes to talk about the, um, the route he takes to travel anywhere and, you know, go down this highway and up that road and... Um, he is a wannabe life coach who lives across the road from the Butlers. And uh, Greg's brother, Brad, played by Phil Lloyd, who was behind the Moody's, uh, is living with the family as well. So they've got some kooky side characters. And, uh, you know, if this was on in America, it would run for 10 seasons. It's got very broad appeal. It's a little bit edgy. There's a line about a sneeze-proof vagina. Yeah. Um, You'll need to watch the show to to, to find out what that's about. Um, But, you know, it's very commercial TV, very accessible and very capably done because Peter Hellier and Lisa McCune are are good at what they do. And, you know, Australia should have more of these types of shows on air. No, it's not. Um, pushing TV forward, oh. it's it's quite oh. old fashioned. It's ah! it's it's obviously doing things to Claire, which we'll, which we'll get to in a second. But it is – I mean, you need this kind of show so that then when you do the really interesting kind of show, you've, you've got a comparison. You need things that are accessible and and, and broad have broad appeal for a lot of people. And with Peter Hellier and Lisa McCune in the cast, there's going to be a lot of people tuning in because they're very popular people. They're very good at this kind of role, and it does help that Pete uh, uh, created it and wrote it as well. But, uh, yeah, did I love it? No, but is there a place for it? Yes. All right, Claire, go on. What are those groans about?
1: Oh, I just can't, I just can't deal with this show. I was (laughs) really excited about it when I saw the ads. I was like, oh, wicked. Peter Hellier, Lisa McHugh, and it's kind of like that show they did a couple of years ago for ABC where it was one episode and it was the two of them and they were a couple and they went on a date and it was very funny. Oh, Oh, my God, I watched this and I was screaming at the TV, just going, just stop. Just stop, please. Because the people that they are trying to portray in this, it's me and my husband. But here's the thing. It's not very good. Like, I really, really wanted it to be better because all the people involved in this are tip-top awesome. Peter Hellyer, he's so great. He's a fantastic comedian. He's a very good writer. He's fantastic on the project. Lisa McCune, she's Australia's sweetheart. She's won Gold Logie after Gold Logie. She's a very funny chick as well. Darren Gilshanon, from all the stuff he's done with Jungle Boys, he's amazing. And the subject matter is very relatable. You're right, Gavin. And there definitely is a place for this. But something in this just really irks me. And I think it's partly the characters, Lisa McKeown's character, when she's going, should I have a chance to work? Like, they just made her kind of dumb. And it really, really frustrated me that, it was just this conversation that I feel like we always have, like, should women return to work? And, blah, blah, blah. like, why is it even an issue? Work if you want to work. Don't work if you want to work. Like, honestly, it, it, it made me scream, this show. Like, I I don't know why it hurt me so much. I wanted it to be better than it was. And it just really, really flat for me. What do you reckon, Matt? Sorry, that was like
0: total Ranty rant. <laughs> well, look, this one actually surprised me. I approached it with rock-bottom expectations <laughs> because I've seen <laughs> so many dreadful Australian sitcoms and I was sitting there with no expectations whatsoever and then I just started laughing at the start and I'm like, I actually went outside of myself and thought, what's going on? This is strange. And I was like, snap forward, and, you're laughing, you're laughing. I was consistently laughing at some quite oh funny God. jokes for about the first five to ten minutes, but then it switched. It switched out of these sort of fun observational jokes about uh, family life and suburbia, and it sort of got hijacked by a plot line. And often this happens with Australian sitcoms where the storylines get in the way and they stop being funny. Like Kath and Kim, the best of Kath and Kim was just always hilarious observations about Australian suburban life and when it got dumb was when they started introducing plot lines and uh, that's a bit the same here like there's a whole uh, sequence in the first episode where Lisa McCune's going for a job interview and that just suddenly takes a, a, a dramatic turn into really high camp over the top there's a yes. um, receptionist oh my character God, that's
1: what I hated as well.
0: Yeah, there's a receptionist character who's like some straight out of like a you know a male version of Bubble from Absolutely Fabulous. It's just it went from gentle mm-hmm. suburban comedy into extreme high camp and sort of like sketch comedy. Um, there's a huge tangle of different ideas, uh, a lot of people in this all over the place, some talented, some not. I think some of these ideas are are really good and they've got the potential if they can come to the surface and take over the show. It's going to be a good sitcom. Other ideas they need to get rid of. I think for the first time in a very, very long time, maybe even years, I've seen an Australian commercial sitcom which has the potential to be a hit. I think if they pull it together, this can be a hit, but they're going to have to junk all the stuff that doesn't work. And that could be a difficult task. Yeah, I've said it before, and I say it every
1: single time we talk about Australian sitcoms. They need a good editor. It needs to be edited better and quicker and faster and funnier and they need to take a huge red pen to some of the things in that script. I don't want to give it away because when we're doing this, it won't have gone to air, but there's a scene involving Lisa McKinn's character in a lady's bathroom drawing a pair of undies. You're just like, what is this? Why is this happening? Like, no, just take a huge red pen and, 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 and just cut it out because... The thing is, these kind of shows are being done well on other networks. The Letdown on ABC has just been picked up for a second series on Netflix. That is a prime example of a show that has been edited well, it's been scripted well, and the characters are really likeable and believable. So, yeah, I don't think there's any excuses.
2: Claire, do you think, because it's interesting hearing what things you had uh, an issue with, and do you think it's because it's written by a man?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Look, I never really think about it in terms of gender in that. In that way, I think you're either a good, good writer and a good observer of the human condition, or you're not, regardless of, of gender. But yeah, maybe. But I mean, I just don't think that's an excuse in this day and age. Oh no! Just, like, yeah,
2: no, yeah, I just, possibly. yeah, I just wondered if, if, yeah, Peter wasn't quite grasping the experience of of the modern family woman and and you know, working well, working yeah. mother that kind of thing. If he wasn't, re- you know, didn't have his finger on that pulse enough.
1: Maybe, because, I mean, I guess Lisa McCune is me in some ways, you know, like juggling work and, and home and small children. But I can tell you one thing, I would not have been behaving in the way that she behaved, and I agree with Matt. It kind of descended, her in particular descended into kind of high camp silliness, and it just mm. didn't fit with the rest of the tone of the show. But yeah, if they can just zero in on that stuff and just get a big red pen to it, I reckon they might be on to a winner. I think yeah, They I think, need some serious
2: work. I think it's got legs, and, and I think, as you both say, if they can rein it in, I mean, there really should be shows about what it's like living in Australian suburbia on TV. We can have all the high-concept shows and the complicated shows but and things are, like that. But there
1: are, Gavin. There are. The letdown is the prime Yeah, yeah, on ABC, Even though. Even Christmas and stuff. ABC, yeah, that's
2: true, ABC. ABC. On the free-to-air, there's, yeah, we don't have these shows, so I, I think, you know, we don't need Street Smart. Oh, gosh, we don't need Street Smart. Uh, Remember the
0: the Casey Donovan show?
2: Yeah, the Uh, Laughless Comedy. Yes, we we don't need these, you know, wannabe high concept shows. We need just, well, we don't need, but it would be good to have just shows that are
0: about normal people doing normal things.
1: Like, Yeah, Australian Modern Family.
0: I mean, The parts that I laughed at most were the the normal people doing normal things, like the stuff when they're getting breakfast and the little girls eating Mexican for breakfast. He says, why are you eating Mexican (laughs) for breakfast? Because I don't like Chinese. Um, that kind of thing I found amusing, yes. Look, guys, I think this has the, the potential to break the Australian sitcom curse, at least on commercial TV. Let's hope it does happen because we do need something that works. It's been so long since, I think, Catherine I think Kim. We
1: need to, I think we need to point out the fact that I've actually only seen one episode. So you know what? In, in all and purposes, that's a pilot, right? So I need to give it another go, I think.
0: All right, listeners, I'm telling you, give this show a chance, please. Please give it a chance. Um, So How to Stay Married begins on 10 on November 8. TV News. It's TV News time, and the three big Aussie networks have just presented their upfronts, which means they've previewed their big shows for 2019. Seven's got four new dramas on the slate, including Secret Bridesmaids Business, and a whole bunch of new reality, including The Super Switch, Wife Swap, The Proposal, and Extreme Weddings. Can you see a pattern there? Seems like relationships are really going to be the centre of a lot of uh, the reality shows this season, although we do have the 10th anniversary of MKR coming up next. So that's going to be a whole lot of interesting stuff for reality fans. But the drama is going to be exciting too. And what I found particularly interesting is that Seven's going to do a spin-off of Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. So it's going to be about Miss Fisher's niece uh, in the 1960s in Melbourne. And she, uh, yes, no, but She receives apparently uh, a legacy from her missing aunt. So it seems the original Miss Fisher has disappeared while flying over the highlands of New Guinea. So it's a bit of an Amelia Earhart scenario. I don't think she's dead. She's going to turn up at some point. But so we've got another <laughs> Miss Fisher, a younger Miss Fisher, sort of a, a mod Miss Fisher in the early, early to mid 60s of Melbourne. Guys, do you think that our fans are going to take to a spin off like that?
1: Yeah, I think it could be interesting. I mean, I just really, really need For free to air to start bringing the goods. I feel like they've been relying way too much on reality TV content. So any announcement of any new dramas has got to be a good
0: thing. Yeah, I think it'll be great if we have a resurgence in Aussie drama next year because reality has been a mainstay for all of the networks and we've been lacking you know, some major um, dramatic hits on the network. So fingers crossed for that slate from Seven. It's great that they've got so much new drama coming. Don't you reckon, Gavin?
2: Yeah, well, they've got as many dramas as new reality shows, new dramas as new reality. I think there were four of each in the announcement that went out. Uh, so that's good that it's, it's pretty much you know, 50-50. And one of the new dramas is from Bevan Lee, who was behind A Place to Call Home. So that's always going to be yep. good, you would hope. But the reality shows, yeah, as you say, Matt, I mean, Wife Swap. Wife yep. Swap coming back. Who's not going to watch Wife Swap? And mm. Extreme Weddings. I mean, the, you know, the, the names of these shows say it all, really. I think it's going to be a yeah, huge year for marriages and dating and breakups and all that kind of yep. thing.
0: Yep, yep. And over on Nine, we've got the Sea Change reboot, a new drama called Bad Mothers, and some quirky reality with Lego Masters. We've also got Love Island moving to the main channel. Claire, what do you think about The Nine Slate?
1: Oh, I think that Nine has some really good stuff coming up. I'm particularly excited about the Speed Change reboot, as is every single person who lived through the original series in the 90s. I mean, how great was it? And just all the people that have been involved in that. You know, you've got Sigrid, you've got John Howard, you've got um Diver Dan, I'm not sure he'll be coming back for it, William McGuinness. Like, there's just so many people that were in that. They were just terrific. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about Lego Masters. Yes. (laughs) Genius. Like as someone who stands on tiny little Lego men on a daily basis, it's a huge part of my world and I actually, you know, like it wasn't until I had kids that I realised that actually I love Lego. It's got nothing to do with my kids. I actually love it. So I'm kind of excited to see kids um, sort of doing stuff and I'm really excited that that's something I can watch with my little one at home. Yeah, but yeah. The other thing I'm really excited about after seeing Taylor at Derby Day down in Melbourne on the weekend is Bloody Love Island. Bring it on.
2: Yeah. And obviously it obviously did so well, channel. yeah, did so well on on. Uh, was that Go? That that yeah, they, they're going to put it on the main channel now this year, which um, yeah, is interesting um, because I, I felt like it was a good experiment putting it on Go, and people watching it on Nine now, so they could well have left it there to you know boost their multi-channel. But um, yeah, I, I guess they they want. <laughs> the boost on the on the
0: main channel instead yeah. yeah
1: which is a bit telling really isn't
0: it yeah another love show it's not so surprising they're bringing it to the main network but I think, um, as you say, Claire, the Lego Masters is something that's right out of the box. Ha ha ha. Something a bit different what? with Hamish Blake. I think it's going to be hilarious. I'm actually married to an adult Lego nerd who seriously considered are auditioning you? for this show. Yes, yes, yes. Couldn't take oh the time my God, off, though. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating. Now, I'm not the biggest Lego fan. Unfortunately, it's invading my living room. <laughs> I, mean, I really wish that it could be beaten back into the attic. Um, are you going to watch it, Gavin?
2: I, yeah, I think I'll watch Lego Master because we have Lego all over our house as well. Um, and, and at the moment, we've got, um, well, she's almost one, so we're constantly having to move it because, you know, those Lego oh, pieces no. are tiny. So it's a quick move the Lego, move the Lego. Um, but yeah, I mean, that show is, is genius in a way. I, I would never have thought of a show about Lego and I assume it's going to be competitive building yes. or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would never have thought of that show, but now it, it, it seems so obvious, really.
0: Yeah, well, the adult
1: yeah, Lego hey, thing you is so big. Can we please come over to your house
2: Lego. You can, can, I, can you can.
0: Just, place, c- just keep it in the attic, though. Just go up, climb up the roof, into the attic, which is the Lego space, and please, it all stay creepy. there. Creepy, yeah. Well, I love
1: that you have a Lego space.
0: Well, oh I, I own the house, but you know, it's not really my space. <laughs> yeah yeah okay now over on ten they 've got a whole new look and some new names for channels one and eleven we 've also got more of the same with um Survivor coming back very much in the same vein as the last season we just saw, and no fast tracking of hits like Murphy Brown and the Connors from the u s which is a very strange choice. What are your thoughts on that, Gavin?
2: I think it's very strange that they haven't put Murphy Brown and the Connors on it already. I know Ten did fast track Roseanne and obviously got a little bit
0: burnt with that, so maybe they're like, "Let's just
2: see what's going to happen with the Connors." They didn't we promote
0: Roseanne at all well, at all well. It just. Appeared suddenly. What it yeah. was at nine thirty at night, and it just withered on the vine even before the scandal. Yeah, but but
2: it
1: was I, a bit on the nose even before it premiered, though.
2: Yeah, well, I, I would have put both those shows on air by now because they've been all over social media. Everyone's talking about them. But what everyone is also talking about is Ten Peach and Ten Boss. What it, is what? up with that? Yeah. What are those names? And yeah, what was wrong with One and Eleven? I mean, I know we have Nine, you know, Go and Nine Honey and Seven Mate and Seven Flicks and all that. Kind of thing. Maybe they just wanted to be in with like the, the cool kids and have um, and have oh. quirky names. But Peach and Boss. I mean, who it's just thought like, of can them? Can you
1: imagine? Can you imagine like a group of of American executives sitting around going, "Okay, we need to appeal to the female demographic. What's female? Something peach, round and juicy. <laughs> oh, a peach. Okay, what about the <laughs> man? Yeah, let's let's get them. Like, let's call it men Boss because like men are boss, man. It's like, ridiculous. It's, it's like, it's is in my mouth. I really don't like it.
2: Yeah, Survivor you mentioned, and obviously as a massive Survivor fan, I have to say, do we need another season of Champions versus Contenders? Yes,
1: we do. Yeah, so but, well.
2: but it worked well, but will it work as well the second time? I would say, and this is what the American Survivor has done very well, is constantly move forward, constantly come up with a new idea. Maybe revisit it three seasons, four seasons down the track, do another one and have some All-Stars thrown in there or something. But they should have come up with a fresh idea. I'm very against that. But I don't reckon. The other exciting news for 10 is, 10 All Access, which is going to launch, which is going to be their on-demand subscription service, which is exciting. Going to have all sorts of things, including every season of American Survivor, Wow, which is a good one. Oh, Gavin. And Gavin. Um, they're going to leave
1: the
2: house. Just, oh, well, I've seen them all. But the, um, Also coming up, Dancing with the Stars is back, and uh, Chris Brown and Julia Morris are doing Sunday Night Takeaway, which in the UK is called Saturday Night Takeaway and hosted by Anton Deck. So Ten have got a heap of stuff coming up next year. I think they're going to come out all guns blazing. To binge or not to
0: binge—that is the question. And this week we're talking about BBC First newspaper drama, Press. It deals with two competing papers in the UK: one a right-on broadsheet, and the other a gutter tabloid. It's set against the background of the massive changes that are affecting the print industry, but there's also a lot of personal drama and scandal and sleaze as well. What did you think, Evan?
2: Well, I'll tell you what I think in a moment. But yeah, I, I will just, I, I guess, follow up on what you've said already. There are two papers. One is the tabloidy Post, and the other is the more respectable Herald. And like the newspaper industry everywhere in Australia, I'm sure it's the same here, all the journos know each other, they interact with each other, and there's you know a bit of rivalry going on between the two because you know the Herald obviously thinks they're better than the Post and all that kind of thing. But, it, yeah, it does look how the media works in an era of declining newspaper circulation and competition from other platforms. but And it does so by following the journos on the, on the different papers, notab- notably Holly Evans, who's the news editor of The Herald. And she's, yeah, she's a hardcore journo looking for breaking news stories and and all that kind of stuff. She's all about serious journalism. And then we've got on the post, Oxford graduate Ed, who has to do his first death knock. Now, I didn't know the phrase death knock. Are you for real? I've never worked on newspapers. And you've never done a death knock? I've I've never done a death knock. So it's it's jargon for knocking on the door of a family after someone has died to try and get a story. Uh, So yeah, so that's Ed. So he's got to deal with that, whereas probably he'd probably like to be working on the Herald not doing that. Um, Brendan Cowell is also in the cast, he's not in episode one very much, um, but he does apparently have a larger role in episode two. Not that I'm going to get that far. And here's what I here's what I think of the show. Oh. I didn't love it. I found it kind of boring. It was a bit too industry for me. I did like the push and pull between the two newspapers and the post editor was just the right kind of sleazy. Yeah. He was really good. Uh, Ben Chaplin, the actor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's basically a workplace soap. And the episode felt like it went on forever. Every time I thought it was going to end, it kept going. It was kind of like Lord of the Rings Return of the King where there's like five endings to the first episode. But I know you two don't agree with me. So, Claire, I know you loved it.
1: Uh, I did. And perhaps that's because I have for the last couple of years been working in the newsroom of a tabloid. So yeah, I was pretty keen to check this one out. And it really felt quite real to me. And I really, really loved it. And actually, it maybe felt a little too real. Mm. Um, (laughs) I thought all the performances were really good, especially Ben Chaplin. And I'm surprised that you're not into it, Kevin, because he has a touch of the Jack Davenport about him. (laughs) And we all know how much you love Jack Davenport. True. But, um, yeah, I thought choosing to focus on the red-top papers, like the Post, red-top is the term used in the UK to describe all the papers that have a red title implying that they're sort of tabloidy but it was interesting that they chose to focus on that and the rival the Herald which is kind of what happens in Australia I mean when you think about news court papers versus um, Fairfax papers that's kind of quite a similar sort of step, um, sort of dynamic going on there but um, yeah, and a lot of because a lot of the people at these papers know each other and are friends, which is exactly how it is in real life. There's some really interesting stories, personal stories that arise, and as and there's some really different agendas being pushed by each of the publishers, and not all of these fit particularly well or fit particularly well with the journos working on the papers, which is what felt really real to me because a lot of people I have worked with that work for so-called tabloid papers aren't actually sort of subscribing to that kind of ethos, they're much more left leaning than the papers that they work for but yeah, I don't know if it's just because it's an industry thing but it's pretty niche but I absolutely loved it And maybe that's because it's dating back to my press gang loving days when I (laughs) was a kid. I absolutely loved that show. This is like a grown-up version of that. So, yeah,
0: it's a yes from me. And so did Matt. And I think, Matt, you've done a Death Knock. I have done a Death Knock. Yes, this may be nostalgic for Death Knocks. No, that is a bit of gallows humour. I did not (laughs) (laughs) enjoy doing Death Knocks. I've only ever done one. Straight out of uh, journalism school in Melbourne, a publication that I will not name sent me out very exploitatively uh, to do a Death Knock. I did not enjoy it. And it's not the the path that my career ended up taking, thank God. Um, Look, yes, it's fascinating. You see the ups and downs, you see the the workings of uh, newspapers which is uh, quite based in reality. There's some interesting stuff here, there's some really good scandals. Uh, There was only really one bum note in the first episode I saw when it was revealed uh, later in the episode that one of the journalists had a very close personal relationship with a a figure in one of the stories they were all pursuing and I thought that was just a bit clumsy, a bit ham-fisted but other stuff was great. like the, The the, journo, the young journo who they sent to do the death knock and the way that he had to uh, overcome every shred of human decency within himself to pursue this story that he was sent on, uh, a young man who'd committed suicide and he had to go and confront this young man's parents and oh, basically announce to them that this this kid who killed himself was gay. And the parents were devastated because they were quite religious and they found out from this scummy journalist. It was um, quite powerful. Um, I had a lot of emotions watching it and I was really, really excited about watching the. Rest of the series. I think even if you're not in the media, you should still enjoy this because it's got something for everyone. I'm actually surprised, Gavin, you didn't like it. But Claire and I are right, and you're wrong. This is a Uh, really good show. It's like a docu-so. Yeah, and also so great. Just
1: it's really good to see Brendan Cow back as well. Like, and he's he's so great as that kind of scruffy news editor character that he plays. He's very very believable in that, and he keeps his Australian. The last couple of years, he keeps his Australian
2: accent as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I've really missed him on Aussie TV, so it's kind of awesome to see him. He's been doing all sorts of amazing theatre projects over in London, but, um, yeah, so it's really good to see him back on screens and on a BBC uh, show, which will obviously bring him to the attention of a whole lot of people over there. He's the best.
2: Well, and he was also Also, I used
1: to have a massive crush on him.
2: (laughs) And he was also in Game of Thrones, don't forget, for about three seconds. Yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a, as
1: you all know, I don't watch that
2: show. So oh, okay, yes. Comment. He had a small role in Game of Thrones. He, <laughs> well, got, he got killed off, obviously.
0: Well, nude extra number three in one no, of the... Uh, no, he no. Had a, he, he had Oh, sp- I'm there for that. I'm so <laughs>
1: there for that.
2: Speaking part, but uh, yeah, he, he did get killed off pretty quickly. But that was yeah, great for his career as well, being on, obviously, Game of Thrones and an HBO drama. So, yeah, he's, he's everywhere.
0: All right, so two of us loved it. One of us was not a fan. So, listeners, I think that is democracy in action. It's proof that you need to go and watch it. Check out Press. It's available now on BBC first. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. Okay, the Hidden Gems are often the best, and this week, Clay, you're talking about You're the Worst, seasons one to four, which are available on SBS On Demand.
1: Yeah, You're the Worst is actually the best, like what I did there. Um, look, this show began in 2014 and its fifth and final season is about to premiere at the beginning of next year, which means that if you connect with this show via SBS and you've never seen it before, you've got months and months of really great viewing ahead of you. Um, it was a big hit with critics and it's all about narcissistic, brash, thoroughly irksome Jimmy Shive Overly, who's a British gent, played by Chris Deere, who inadvertently finds himself paired up with cynical, people hating, little ray of sunshine Gretchen, played by A.A. Cash. They're both really awful people, uh, hence the You're the Worst title. And they get together after the wedding of Jimmy's ex who he proceeds to abuse at her own wedding and then gets kicked out. And it's while he's being thrown from the venue that he meets Gretchen, who is also legging it from the wedding after trying to steal one of the couple's wedding presents, which actually ends up being a blender and she's really pissed off about it. (laughs) So they're basically the two worst people you'll meet and they are absolutely perfect together. So what ensures is a little bit of a night of serious lovemaking, bitching, whining and complaining from the two of them who really just think they're on up for a one-night thing. But voila, before you know it, they have caught up again and again and all of a sudden it looks a little bit like they're having a kind of relationship with each other. And that is what all of these series are about, the ups and downs of of them being together. And it's a little bit like Love, which is a really fantastic series on Netflix from Leslie Arson and Paul Ruff. Um, I think I've talked about it previously on this show. I absolutely love it. And that too is about two really unlikely people who strike up a relationship. So yeah, with four series to go, you can bet that it won't be smooth sailing for Gretchen and Jimmy. But that's where all the fun lies. And despite the fact that they're both pretty loathsome, together they're actually quite sweet And surprisingly sweet. And that's kind of what keeps you tuning in X after X. So if this sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. It's really, really funny. I love it.
2: Oh, I'm really glad to hear you say that, Claire, because it's been on my I should watch list list for ages and ages. And so when I saw SBS were jumping on it, I was really pleased. So I think I will definitely check it out. I like how it's SBS really good, Gav. Yeah, I like it's how so SBS good. and ABC are bringing these comedies like Shits Creek on ABC that that you know you maybe haven't discovered elsewhere and and putting them onto something that's a little bit more accessible
0: for people.
1: Yeah, and it is the kind of show that is just right for binging. So um, SBS on demand is the perfect platform for this. So it's really excellent.
0: Okay, sounds interesting. And that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. Do make sure you're subscribed so you receive new episodes every week. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or via any of the major podcast apps. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter. I'm Mr. Matt Denby, he's Gavin Scott 99 and she's I am Claire. So, until we see you next week, happy listening. Bye everyone. Bye. Happy,
1: happy viewing. Bye.